0: Luke chapter number 7, and uh, I'd like to preach to you tonight on a thought. I know I've dealt with it before, and I'm sure many of you have heard sermons upon this passage. But uh, tonight I hope the Lord will do something in our hearts. Uh, Let me say, by way of introduction, that it's about time we start believing God. I mean, I know that seems oversimplified, but it's about time we start believing God, believing that He's able believing that He's willing. Now, I understand we can't take our will and superimpose it as the will of God. I'm not talking about that, but I'm, I just mean to say that it's about time we start being people of faith and trusting God and believing He's able. There's no telling what we limit God on because we won't trust Him, because we won't put our faith in Him, because we won't believe Him when He's able to be believed. Luke chapter number 7, I'd like to begin reading at verse number 1. And I want to preach to you tonight on the idea of a marvelous faith. The Bible says in verse number 1, Now, when he had ended all his sayings, this is speaking of our Lord, in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they besought Him instantly, saying that He was worthy for whom He should do this. For He loveth our nation, and He hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. When He was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to Him, saying unto Him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, and this is fascinating to me, it says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. They that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. Let's read verse 9 once more. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, No, not in Israel. Let's pray together tonight. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for this privilege and opportunity. Now, Lord, we need Your Holy Ghost to give us unction in the preaching and in the hearing. Father, we've already felt Your presence both this morning and tonight. And we just covet, Lord, not only Your presence, but Your power this evening. Oh God, teach us to be people of faith. Teach us to trust You. Teach us to seek big things for You and from You, that You might receive the glory and the honor. Pray that You do everything according to Your will tonight and help us to be submitted to it. We ask it in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Most of you have heard this passage, read this passage many times, I'm sure, in Luke chapter number 7. But the thing that distinguishes this passage above so many others is the statement in verse number 9 where the Bible says that our Lord and Savior, when He heard these things, when He observed the faith of this man, the Bible says that He marveled. Now, we use that term marvel a lot, only we usually use the term marvelous. We don't usually use it in the a term in the... Form of a verb, much very much today. We don't really say I marvel at that, but we often will say something is marvelous. We use it as an adjective. And I got to considering and thinking about that word, and uh, it actually means to admire to stand back and to observe something for it to cause such an effect upon you that it interrupts your course of action and causes you to stand back and take a moment and simply admire what's taking place. Now, verse number 9 tells us that our Lord did this. Uh, We also see it as far as the narrative is concerned. Not only does it tell us that he did it, but it tells us how he did it. He took this man, this uh, centurion, turned him around and uh, looked about at the people and said that I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. In other words, this man's faith was a unique thing. It was something that our Lord had not come across in all of the country of the covenant people of God. He had not found a faith quite so astonishing and astounding, uh, quite so impactful as the faith of this centurion. I want us to take a few moments tonight, and I want us to uh, talk about this marvelous faith. Can I say to you that if you struggle with faith, you're going to struggle with everything in the Christian walk. It's been said before that if you can accept the first verse of the Word of God, you ought to have no trouble with the rest of it. And I say amen to that. If you can believe that God created the heavens and the earth, you ought not have any uh, trouble with the rest of it, that God is capable, that God is able. But do you know that there are many Christians today that claim they believe the Word of God? And I believe at at least in some sense that they do. Uh, But the way that they live their life implies that they don't believe God is able to do things in their life. Now, I want to be very careful with what I say tonight because there's a lot of uh, this name-it-and-claim-it and and seed-sowing preaching going on today on the television and uh, in a lot of uh, quote-unquote pulpits today where you can uh, claim your will and claim it as the will of God and demand that God will answer your prayer. And that's not what I'm talking about tonight. But I believe that God does have a will to work in our lives. I believe that when something is within the realm of God, I I don't believe it's impossible. I believe all things are possible to God. I believe God has, if you've got financial problems and it's the will of God for you to get out of them, I believe God's able to get you out of them if you'll do what He asks. If you've got health problems and it's the will of God for you to be made whole concerning it, you'll pray and ask in faith. I believe God's able to heal you. I've seen it done. Uh, If you have loved ones that are lost and undone, I, I know that the Bible says that the Lord is not willing that any should perish. Now, God's not going to ignore a person's free will, and God's not going to force salvation upon anyone. But I do believe that God is able to work in your loved one's lives. I do believe God is able to show them their need of Calvary. Now, they'll make their decision, but I believe God's able to show them their need of Calvary. You say, Preacher, you don't know my loved one. They're pretty wayward. Well, Paul said, I was the chiefest of sinners. So if God can convict him, I believe he can convict your loved one. You say, Preacher, you don't understand, you know, the the trouble that I'm in uh, financially. I I just don't believe uh, that it's something God can handle. Hey, neighbor, how many fish do you think there are in the sea? Uh, God, when He chose to do so, had Peter go out and pluck a fish out of the water, that would have been a miracle for me in and of itself, amen? If you ever go fishing with me, you'll know what I mean. And reached in and pulled money out of the mouth. Uh, money is no issue to God. He's able. You say, preacher, you don't understand the illnesses that I'm uh, dealing with. Well, I, some of you may look rough, amen, but I don't think any of you is dead, and God's able to raise the dead. The fact is, God is able tonight. And I'm not trying to encourage us to take what we want and claim it as what God wants. But I believe we ought to take what God wants for our lives and claim it as what we want. I believe we've got to come to the place where we begin believing God. And listen to me, I think we have become uh, so skittish about name it and claim it Christianity that in many ways we've forfeited our faith that God's able to move and work. Now, I don't believe in any of that mess. You know me well enough to know that. But I also believe that we've got to be careful lest we limit God, lest we uh, take away from Him the very thing in our lives that enables Him to work, which is the faith that we put in Him. Whatever the will of God is, is going to be perfect for your life. Do you know that? Whatever it is. I believe there's some things that God wants to do in our lives that He can't because we don't believe Him. We don't trust Him. Uh, listen, I know, I, I don't expect anybody to do a backflip, uh, but I still think it's the truth. Uh, circumstances don't limit God, but unbelief does. I mean, challenges don't limit God, uh, but discontentment in the heart and life of the believer can. I mean, the unbeliever or the believer not being willing to believe that God is able to work and to move. You know why God only moves when in response to faith. You know why that is, Brother Ralph? Because if it's in response to faith, He gets the glory. If we won't put our faith in Him and ask Him to do something, there's a lot of stuff God love to do for you if you just pray for it. Now, I'm not trying to set you up for disappointment. we always got to have our wills uh, submitted to the will of Almighty God. There might be some things that you want that aren't in the will of God for you. It would be the worst thing in the world if you ever got them. You need to be submitted to the will of God. But I believe there's a lot of things God would love to do in our hearts and lives, but He can't do it because we won't pray and ask Him to do it, and you have not because you ask not. And God won't get the glory if He does it without uh, us praying and asking for it. That's why God does what He does. I mean, God's not interested in just giving you something just so you can be comfortable. He wants you to be comfortable. But the reason He wants to give it to you is so that He might get the glory out of it. A lot of us, our prayer lives have been stunted because we've not given God the glory when He has answered prayers. We pray, and I'd say we're guilty of it. I don't know about you. I know I have been. We pray and ask God to do something then forget about it. And then uh, two, three months later, God does it. And you don't thank Him for it. You don't praise Him for it. You know why? Because you didn't pray persistently. It's not that God didn't hear you the first time. He heard you the first time, but you've done forgot about it and you're not giving God the glory. It's vital that we glorify God in our lives. That's why we draw a breath. And that's the purpose of our prayer life, is that we might bring glory to God, that it might be an avenue for the work of God in our lives that we might give Him glory in all things. I want us to notice a few things very quickly tonight. As I read this passage, I was struck by some things that did not marvel our Lord. You see, as you read this passage, you're going to be struck by some things that are probably pretty impressive to you and me. But it's interesting to me that this man's faith was the only thing that moved and marveled the Savior. Uh, look at what it says in the first five verses. Uh, in fact, notice verse 2. It says, "...and a certain centurion servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews..." beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. We assume that this centurion was probably not a Jew. We assume this is why he went to these Jewish leaders. And so he gets these Jewish leaders, and uh, we're going to find out in a second why they were willing to run this errand for him. But he says, I want you to go, and I want you to find Jesus, because I believe he's able to do something in our home. Look at what it says in verse number 4. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us... A synagogue. I want you to know those three things that our Lord ignored. I want you to know first off that this man's rank did not do anything to impress the Saviour. Now, you or I, and we've, I'm sure many of us have heard the uh, analogy given of the, uh, going an extra mile, and a Roman soldier had the uh, legal authority to compel uh, a Roman citizen or really anybody else uh, to take his uh, pack or his uh, sword or his shield or whatever it might be, the burden that he was carrying, and could compel him or her to travel one mile, and legally they had to do it. And the passage that speaks of going the extra mile deals with the idea of not just doing what you have to do, but going over and above. It was legally obligating that a Roman soldier, whenever they called on you, and there's no question in my mind uh, that you or I probably, if we were living in that day and if we had the capacity to help this man, it would probably cross our mind to say, you know, I guess we better help him. He is a centurion. Do you know that the Bible says God is no respecter of persons? It's going to mean a lot to you here in a second when we talk, talk, start talking about faith. Because let me tell you something. You know, you don't have to be anybody important for God to hear and answer prayer. I mean, in this world's eyes, you don't have to mean a thing to this world. Uh, they, most of us in this room, chances are the world could care less. If we drop dead tonight, they could care less. Some of us might like it. Amen. But that doesn't affect God. You may say, well, I'm too insignificant. If you're saved by the grace of God, you're a child of God, and I don't care what other accolades that you may have. Nothing outranks a child of God. It doesn't matter what it is. This man's rank did not impress our Savior. I want you to know. secondly, that this man's resources did not impress the Savior. The Bible says that he built a synagogue for the Jews. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know what it cost back then. Building prices just been going up and up, and if you follow it as in the percentage incline, it probably, they used to pay you to build a synagogue. I don't know, Brother Ralph, but it probably cost a lot of money to build a synagogue. It was evident that this man was a person that had money. And I hate to say this, but, but the fact is, you or I, if we were in that position, it might have crossed our minds, you know, we probably ought to help him, because maybe we'll get something out of it. Maybe financially it'll make a difference. No, don't be spiritual. Don't be spiritual. Be just as carnal as you really are, amen, and admit. Isn't that true? You'd probably thought, boy, I better help him. He may help me out. Let me tell you something. God doesn't help us because we help him. God don't need us. Or anything you've got other than your heart that God's interested. In. He ain't interested. People say, well, you know, God wants us to give our money. God's not interested in your money. He's interested in your heart. And if you're like most Baptists, the way to that is through your wallet. Amen? That's what God's interested in. I mean, most of us, if we've not given the wallet yet, we've not given our hearts. And uh, God's not interested in the money itself, though. God can provide, friend. He's able. He's able to provide. What He wants is us. You say, well, I've got plenty of money. That don't mean nothing to God. Say so I ain't got no money. That don't mean anything to God. God's able. Look who He called. The Bible says, uh, Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, said to uh, look and consider and examine our calling, brethren. Not many wise, not many noble, uh, not many of the, the powerful and the mighty and the rich and the wealthy in this world have been called. He said, God hath used the things which are not to bring to naught the things which are. Paul said, look around and ask yourself if God is interested in wealth or power or prestige. It doesn't mean anything to God. God's able. I want you to notice this man's uh, resources, they didn't mean anything to the Savior. But I want you to notice his reputation didn't mean anything to the Savior. It's interesting to me what the Jews said. And I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible, this had to burn these Jews up, you know it? The Bible teaches they had a hatred for our Savior. I mean, they had a hatred. They despised Him. They thought He was a charlatan. They thought He was possessed of the devil. They uh, claimed that He was born of fornication. They didn't believe in the uh, virgin birth. And uh, they just absolutely hated Him. Several times they sought to kill Him. And can't you see the look on their face, Brother Ralph, when that centurion sends word uh, to these Pharisees? I don't know who it was. I don't know if it was Annas and Caiaphas. I don't know who it was. It could have been uh, that Nicodemus was in this group, or uh, maybe Joseph Verum. I don't know who was in this group. But these leaders among the Jews said, I want you to go and find Jesus for him. Man, that must have burnt them up. <laughs> but they had to do it just the same. You know why? Because this man's reputation meant something to them. And they said, This man is worthy for whom you're going to do this. He's built us a synagogue, he's wealthy, he's done some things. And you know what they were saying? They were saying, We owe him, so we better do it. Can I, can I shatter your world tonight? God's never going to owe you a thing. Now, I know that seems discouraging, but it's really encouraging when you think about our relationship with God because we understand that God does nothing out of obligation and everything out of love. God's not doing it because He has to. He's doing it because He wants to. That's why God's doing it. Your reputation, it's funny, you know, when you're around around people and church people and you spend time, uh, you, people say funny things, you know what I mean? And and uh, th- things that, that you ought not even tell sometimes. I'm not going to. But, you know, it's funny how some people are. And, uh, uh, you know, you'll hear, hear people brag about things that mean a lot to them. To me, they don't mean nothing, you know what I mean? And uh, you'll hear people say, well, you know, I was on such and such committee or such and such council, I serve such and such. Listen to me, if you tell me you were in political office, that ain't going to make me like you more, okay? Amen? <laughs> no, I'm picking at you. But the fact is, this man's reputation didn't mean nothing to God. He's not a respecter of persons. You say, preacher, I, I've never done anything great for God, and that'd be a great time to start, you know it? You know, the greatest thing you can do for Jesus Christ is by obeying the will of God for your life. If you're saved by the grace of God, the greatest thing you can do is love Him and serve Him and obey Him and obey His will for your life. You do that, friend, and you've succeeded. None of these things mean anything to the Lord. But you know what did? His faith. His faith meant something to Jesus Christ. Do You know, I I believe faith still means something to God. In fact, the Bible goes so far as to say, but without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, number one, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, number two. You've got to have faith if you're going to please God. There's a lot of people that have a form of godliness, but they've got no faith. There's a lot of people that go to church, but they don't expect God to do nothing. I mean, listen, I I believe that's part of the things that we struggle with concerning worship in our lives. I made the statement uh, earlier uh, in the week uh, that, you know, if you notice, Brother Ralph, false worship has become the avenue through which the devil has deceived the younger generation. Is that not true? Most churches with poor standards and churches that don't glorify Christ have reached young people through a sensual worship, a worship that appeals to the carnality of the flesh. Why is it our young people have no concept of what real worship is? I mean, I don't know about you, uh, Brother Ralph, but Once you've had the real thing, you know what the fake thing is. I, I mean, it don't take, if you take the average coffee drinker, uh, or uh, the average person that's not a coffee drinker, and give them decaf coffee, that's probably not going to mean anything to them. They're going to say, well, that tastes like chalk, just like anything else uh, coffee related tastes like chalk. But now you take somebody that downs about four, five, six, seven, eight pots a day, don't act like that's not some of you, and you give them that decaf coffee. And they take a sip of that, they're liable to hit you in the mouth. You see, if you've been used to the real thing, you know when you've got the false thing. And could it be our young people are getting deceived by false worship because older generations have neglected teaching them by example what true worship really is? That's the fear. That's the danger that we live in. You can worship, but if you're not worshiping in faith, it means nothing. If you didn't come to church expecting God to do something, He ain't going to do anything. And there's a lot of people that'll gripe and complain and moan and say, Well, you know, I just didn't get nothing out of that. And preacher preached long and is boring. I didn't know what book of the Bible he was in. I didn't know this. The person beside me smelled funny. The person in front of me fell asleep. The person behind me was gossiping about them, and on and on they go. And they say, I Wonder why that is. Well the reason is because if you came to church and didn't expect nothing, you got exactly what you expected. You got nothing. Everything that we do in the Christian walk is an act of faith. And we must do it in faith. I want you to notice three things very quickly. Notice first off the context of this man's faith. The Bible says that his servant was ready to die. I kind of believe that this man was probably despairing. Uh, The Bible says that he loved his servant. I'll tell you what has hurt a lot of us today, and I, I am not. I, I don't believe that, uh, like the monks, that we need to sell off everything that we've got and live in poverty. I don't believe uh, old Martin Luther, before he ever finally figured out that salvation was uh, of faith and the just shall live by faith, he would crawl up and down the steps at a monastery and try to atone for his sins, and he permanently uh, injured himself trying to find some way to atone uh, his uh, for his sins without faith. Uh, you know, I I, kinda, I don't, I'm, I'm not agreeing with that, and I don't. Believe Believe in that, but you know something that I do think has really hurt us. A lot of us have got to a place where we really don't have that many needs. I know what you'll say. You'll say, "Well, I know, preacher. I got some needs. I got the cable bill coming in. And I got, uh, you know, the second car payment coming in, or the third house payment coming in." And I got... I'm not talking about needs, now, I understand their needs. And I'm not saying God's not able to meet those needs; they're uh, important in a sense. But I'm talking about real needs. I mean, I'm talking about needs like I'm going to starve. <laughs> That's a need, you know. You can live without a lot of things, but food ain't one of them, at least not for any longer than about 40 days. Uh, some of us might make it a little longer than that. But I'm talking about real needs. This man had a real need. I mean, this wasn't just a false need. This wasn't a need that was insignificant. This man had a, had a dire need in his life, and he, he got desperate about it. What's hindering a lot of our faith is because we're not desperate about things yet. When you get desperate for something, you'll do whatever you have to do. He was desperate uh, and he was despairing, but I want you to notice that he was determined. When he heard about Jesus, he said, that's the answer. Aren't you thankful that we're not sitting around waiting on an answer? If you were to read just a little bit uh, further on, and we're not going to take the time to read it, but I was reading it as I was uh, sitting there. Uh, I read about the widow's son, the widow of Nain. And the Bible says that when she came out of the city, that multitudes followed her. Hey, she had everybody around her except the person that could do something about it. And it's good to have people around. And it's good to have encouragement. And it's good to have help. Uh, but can't nobody do what our Lord and Savior can do in our lives. He's the one that's going to make a difference. This man got determined to do something about it. He would not leave his servant's side and he did not believe that Christ was worthy to come under his or that he was worthy for Christ to come under his roof, but he knew that God was able to do something. So he went to the person that could fix it. There's a lot of us going to everybody in the world to get our problems fixed except the one person that can fix them. There's a lot of us who spend all of our time griping and complaining and gossiping, oh me and oh mine, woe is me and uh, woe is mine. And the fact is, we have a heavenly Father that's just waiting to move and to work if we call on Him. The context of His faith, He was in a rough spot. But you know, you and I, we're going to face times like that. It may not be quite that dire. It may even be worse. It could have been worse. He could have been despairing of His own life. We're going to face difficult times. But I believe this man's problem and difficulty, I believe it ranked pretty high up there. Uh, We're going to deal with difficulties in life. You might be dealing with marital issues. You know, God's able. God's able to do in your home and your family and your marriage what what needs to be done. You may be dealing with financial issues that are big issues. I mean, we're, we're not talking about the, the, you know, the, the videotapes going to be late at the video store. <laughs> we're not talking about the, the library is, is starting to you know, send hate mail to you because you ain't returned your book. We're talking about real financial issues. You may be facing those. Our father owns the cattle on a thousand ills, and he's able. I mean, He's able. You may be dealing with sicknesses. And I'm not talking about a sniffle. I'm not talking about a cold. Of course, those can be pretty rough too, you know. Uh, I'm the worst when I get sick. I mean, I'm I'm either well or I am dying, one of the two. There's no middle ground for me. They can be pretty rough. But you may be dealing with some real, real troubling health issues. God's able. I don't care what the context is in which you need to have faith. Faith is your option. It's, it's not only your only option. It is your best option. It's not a last resort. It's that which is capable of moving heaven. I mean, that's what faith is. Like I said, I, I really think we have underemphasized faith in this day that we live in because we're scared we're going to be thrown and lumped in with the charismatics. But faith is real, friend. Faith is required. Faith is what it's going to take if we're going to see God move. He won't move without it. It's going to take faith. We see the context of his faith. But I want you to notice not only that, the confidence of his faith. Brother Ralph, he he sent his servant. I guess another one. That would have been pretty mean, send that. (laughs) But uh, the the Jews, uh, he sent word through the Jews and through the servant. He said uh, to the Lord, he said, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, and there's no need for it. You know what he said? He said, if you'll but speak the word, if you'll but speak the word then it's enough to change my situation. That's confidence. A lot of us treat faith like we're playing chicken with God. We're happy to have our faith in Him until it gets a little too close for comfort. Then we take it into our own hands. This was not the kind of faith that this man had. He had complete and total confidence that if it was the will of God and if he had sought the will of God and asked God to accomplish it, that God was able to. Listen to me, faith faith is not convincing yourself of a matter. Faith is confidence in the ability of God to perform in a matter. Faith is not just telling yourself a thousand times over, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. The old Hitler used to say, if you tell a lie, uh, a lie big enough and loud enough and long enough, people believe it and they're more liable to believe a big lie than a small lie. That's not faith. That's delusion. You say, what's the difference between delusion and faith? The Word of God. That's the difference. If the Word of God gives us reason to believe that God has that for our lives and a will in that matter for our lives, and I understand there's a lot of things in our life that do not fall within the confines of uh, the plain, expressed uh, Word of God. I understand that. Things about where we're going to live and where we're going to work and what we're going to drive and what we're going to do and where we're going to go. I understand that. But I also understand this, that we can get in the Word of God and find the will of God about matter. And through the Word of God, once we've gained the mind of God on a matter, then it's up to us to step in that direction. Abraham didn't know where he was going, he just knew a direction. He didn't know where, the, where he was going to wind up. The revelation of God to Abraham was progressive. It was on a need-to-know. How many of, Some of y'all work out the plants and stuff, and, and, and you probably have heard that phrase before, need-to-know basis. That's how the will of God is. God's not going to give you the uh, tail end of the map before you need it. He's going to give you the next step as you need it. That's what he did in Abraham's life. Abraham, he looked at him and he said, I want you to go in this direction. Abraham said, Yes, Lord. He came to a place and the Lord said, All right, Abraham, stop here. He said, Yes, Lord. He said, All right, Abraham, I want you to look around you as far as you can see. He said, Yes, Lord. He said, That belongs to you said, Abraham, I want you to walk the length and breadth of this land It belongs to you. He said, yes, Lord. He walked by faith through his entire life. And God accomplished great things. wonder why Abraham did that. Abraham did it because he had confidence in God. Faith is not delusion, but rather confidence based upon what God has said. I want you to notice finally, and I'm going to close, the concept of this man's faith. What was it that truly made this man's faith great? I want you to read it with me. I'm not going to try to quote it. I'm not going to paraphrase it or summarize it. I I want to read it. Look at verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, For I also... Now, this is the uh, centurion, his words. For I also am a man set under authority. If you underline in the Word of God, then underline that phrase, that word authority. For I also am a man set under authority having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth. And to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Come, or Do this, and he doeth it. Let me tell you why we can have confidence in the Lord and what the concept of this man's faith was that made it so remarkable. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. I'm going to give you the whole thrust of the message. It's the word authority. Authority. What does that mean? It means the right, capability, wherewithal to accomplish something. When you say someone has authority to do something, you're implying that they have the right to do it. In fact, that's the common use of it, the authority. I'll say oftentimes when I marry someone, uh, by the power or by the authority vested in me by the state of Tennessee. What I'm saying is this. The state of Tennessee has authorized me to do this. I have the right to do it. At my discretion and according to my will, I have the authority. It means something else. It means a second thing, Brother Ralph. It means I have the capability to do it. Not just the right, meaning that it's proper, But the capability, meaning I have the power to accomplish it. Let me tell you what you need to look for in your life as you seek the will of God. The first thing is, is it the will of God? Do you have His authority upon it? His authority. The second thing is this. You need to understand that if it is the will of God, that the Lord has the authority in the sense of the power to accomplish it. This authority is vested in something, Brother Ralph. There's a means through which authority is communicated. And that means it can be several things, uh, you know, in modern culture and society. Uh, some of you, if you've ever, uh, you ever, any of you ever drove too fast, got pulled over? No, I'm not going to ask you. <laughs> but uh, a lot of times that police officer, you know, he'll come out. And there's there's a lot of things about him that, that let you know he's a police officer. Uh, sometimes his attitude, no, I'm not going to say that. That's mean. I'm joking. I, You know I am. One is his car, the vehicle he's in. You see that car, that vehicle, and you understand this is probably a police officer. Uh, but you know, you can get, I mean, you can get cop cars. In fact, my first car, Brother Ralph, uh, was a 1995 Crown Victoria police interceptor motor uh, cop car. Had no door locks in the back. You, you did not want to accidentally get into the back of that car and shut the doors. Um, so you can get a cop car. And, uh, you know, there's a number of other things. The light's on top, the paint job, the uniform is one of them. But, you know, you can go to a uniform store and you can, you can buy a uniform. But the police officer, when he wants to communicate his authority, he'll do one thing. He will look, and on his chest, he will point to a badge. That badge is unique. You cannot just go and buy that badge. It is issued to that police officer. And oftentimes people will say, when you have these scares, and we have them every few years, somebody out dressed like a police officer, pulling people over, hurting them, uh, doing things like that, uh, they'll say, when when a cop pulls you over, be sure to ask to see his badge number, because it'll be unique. And that's the communication of his authority. That can be different in any number of scenarios. What is the communication that this man speaks of? It speaks of the response to his word. He says, I say to one, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. My word is my authority. My word is my authority, and there is response to my word. This was his concept of what faith meant. So in other words, we could boil it down to this simple thought. This man understood that the word of authority was able to change matters. That a word that had authority behind it was sufficient. Let me tell you what the basis of your faith should be. The word of God. Faith cometh by hearing. and Hearing by the word of God. You know why that is? Faith could come by a number of things but it's speaking of true biblical faith. We know that because it distinguishes it, a particular kind of faith. Faith cometh by hearing. There's many types of faith, and they can come from many sources. But evidently, the faith that's being spoken of in Romans chapter 10 is a unique faith that comes only by one way, only by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's what finding out the will of God for your life is. Studying, and discerning the will of God, from the Word of God and allowing the Spirit of God to communicate it to your heart and your life. I still believe God's able to do that. I know we don't like that sometimes because that's, that's, that's too vague for some of us. We want somebody to, uh, to you know write a best-selling book and, and plaster their photo on the front, and we want to read it and it to tell us what to do. We don't like the discernment of having to study and pray and seek God's face and with patience wait upon Him. But that's still the Bible way to find the will of God. That's still the Bible way. God's will, uh, God does not uh, stutter, nor does He uh, whisper when He communicates His will. God speaks it clearly to our lives. It may not be time yet to find out that will, but when it's time, God speaks clearly. It's not a mystery, the will of God. God has a desire that we should know His will, that we might live by faith. This man understood that faith was confidence in the Word of God. That God had the authority, both the right and the power, to work in this world. He is the Creator. Don't you believe He has the right to work? I mean, you say, "Well, you know, preacher, I just, <laughs> you know, I don't know about uh, some of these miracles. You know, I don't know about this sickness I'm dealing with." Well, I don't know either. In this sense, I don't know whether it's the will of God or not for you to be healed. But I know this: if it is the will of God, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, and you're made in God's image, and He's formed you, and He's capable. He's capable. Preacher, I don't know, you know, I got these big money problems. Preacher, I you know, I don't know, I got these big marriage problems. I don't know if God can fix this. Let me tell you something. Can I make a statement? I hope you won't get mad at me. I've had this on my heart lately. Do you know that marriages would be would be helped a lot if people would quit griping and start praying? God can do things in your spouse that you can't do. For all the griping, for all the nagging, for all the pushing, for all the problem. That goes for men and women both, by the way. Our marriages would be a lot stronger if we would quit griping and start praying more. The Bible says that the uh, heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he turneth it whithersoever he will. You say, Preacher, you don't know how hard-headed my uh, spouse is, but I know how uh, big my God is, and I know that his prescription is prayer. Prayer. Well, you may nag them into changing, but it won't last long. But if God does it in their heart and life, they'll do it with a cheerful spirit and out of love and affection and adoration. Uh, that's free. (laughs) And I think it's needed. I think it's needed. It's the little foxes that spoil the vines, friend. Don't take much. Just takes a lot of little things. It Don't take a big thing. Just takes a lot of little things. Prayer will go a long way. You say, God couldn't handle these marriage problems. I've been married to that scoundrel for uh, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 35, however many years that it is. Hey, God's bigger than your marriage problems. You don't know my financial problems, preacher. I know that our God has so much money, He paves His streets with gold. Preacher, you just don't understand. I understand this. I understand that however big your problem is, God's bigger. No matter what it is, greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. And I understand that we're going to have to start putting our faith in God, trusting Him, and then giving Him the glory when He answers if we're going to see Him move and work. He won't do it without it, but without faith it's impossible to please Him, God responds to faith. Faith don't just move mountains, faith moves God. Faith changes things. Prayer changes things. You say, well, you know, preacher, what about God's sovereignty? Yeah, God's sovereign. He's so sovereign that He chose prayer as the means to accomplish His will. Prayer is the means. God's able tonight. I don't know what your problem is, but I know prayer the answer. Say, well, what if it's not the will of God? Then whatever you're dealing with is the best possible thing in the world for you. Best possible thing in the world for you. You may not be able to see it. You don't have to see it. You don't have to understand it. Me and my wife were talking the other day. We're we're getting ready to have a baby, so that makes us experts. (laughs) But we were talking, and, uh, you know, in this day that we live in, parents feel the need to rationalize their decisions to their child. How many of you heard growing up, it's going to sting, you've not heard it in a long time. How many of you heard growing up, because I said so? You ever hear that growing up? Let me tell you something, that's probably one of the best things that your parent could have done for you. You may not believe that, but let me tell you something. You know what it taught you? It taught you to obey when you didn't understand. It taught you to obey when you couldn't make sense of something. It taught you that you didn't have to have all the pieces to get started on the puzzle. You just had to do what was set in front of you. We're robbing our kids of that today because now we feel the need to explain everything to them. We're not being good parents if we tell them because I said so, or because it'll hurt a lot worse if you don't. Uh, we don't want to do that because that's going to warp them, Dr. Spock says. Dr. Spock, you know his son killed himself. You remember that? I'm not making a lie to anybody, killing themselves. I'm just saying, what are we doing taking parenting information based upon that? I'm not saying you're a bad parent if that happened to you. I'm just saying, you'd think there'd be someone else, maybe like the Word of God, we'd be taking our parenting advice from. I mean, you'd think we could have confidence in the Word of God. You know, we have to learn how to obey and submit our will to God's, even if we ain't got all the pieces. If it's God's will for you, whatever you're struggling with, I promise you, it's the best thing in the world for you. But there's a lot of things I believe God wants to do in our life that we're not, we're not letting Him do them, Ralph, because we don't want to believe and we don't want to trust. We don't want to have faith. Tonight, if God's spoken your heart, I don't know what your need is, maybe a big one, maybe a small one, but I believe I'd find a place around this altar and I'd get busy praying and asking God to intervene. You have not because you asked.